and welcome to Freewheeling, a new podcast from Cycling Tips. I'm Abby Mickey, and I'll be your host. And this is Kaylee Fritz. And this is my podcast. Woo! Episode number one. Yeah, very exciting. Abby, we promised the listeners out there that if we got to a certain number of Velo Club members, and we have then we would have a spinoff podcast, your spinoff podcast. I am the first of the Cycling Tips podcast, spinoff podcasts, and I'm very pleased. There's a couple more coming, actually. We're going to have a Nerd Alert podcast with James and Dave. Uh, Wade is working on a top secret mission of some sorts. Mm. But you are the first. This is the first Cycling Tips spinoff, and this is going to be... This is your baby. This is this is going to be your podcast. You are going to be the executive producer. No pressure. Yeah, no, it's I'm like really excited about this opportunity, especially cuz I've been bugging you to have a female voice on the Cycling Tips podcast for years. Correct. Um, and it just so happened that I retired at a, a, the exact time when it was came about that this was going to be an addition to Cycling Tips. So it's pretty sweet. So fortuitous. Well, Let's just get into the first episode here. So I am, I am just, a, I'm, I'm hanging out on the side here, providing a little bit of a sort of CT context, if you will. But really, I'm going to step away from the rest of this episode. Mm. And this is going to be you chatting with uh, our mutual friend and national champion here in the States, Ruth Winder. Correct. And then Jackson Long, an expert in nutrition and physiology and similar matters. What are we talking about today? Yeah, so this is the first episode, and it seemed on topic for the current, what's currently being talked about in sport with um, Ruth Winder recently did an a interview with bicycling.com about her experiences this year and last year in cycling with her own body and everything. Um, and then also recently the New York Times did a video with Mary Kane, the runner, and talked, she mentioned briefly Reds. So Reds is a topic that is, I don't know anything about, which is why I called Jackson. Um, so Jackson is, has studied nutrition. Um, he's neck deep, neck deep in nutritional matters. So I wanted to talk to him about it. Um, deeply passionate, deeply about passionate. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually, um, quit his job at Rafa and moved back to Idaho just so he could be the nutrition coach for the high school Nordic skiing team because he's so passionate about it. He wants to like start from the young kids anyway. So I talked to him about reds and, and also talked to Ruth cause she did that amazing article with bicycling.com. Should we start with Ruth and then get into your conversation with Jackson? Yeah. So we can kick it off with Ruth and then you'll get to learn more about reds in general and nutrition type things in the later part of the episode. I should add before we get too much further here, this episode is found in the regular channel for our podcast. So if you subscribe to the Cycling Tips podcast, you get this podcast. However, in the future, Abby's podcast will be on its own channel. So you need to go and find Freewheeling, a new podcast from Cycling Tips. So it's relatively easy. You can find it on cyclingtips.com. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify. You need to subscribe there if you want get Abby in your ears for every episode. Yeah. Pretty please subscribe to my podcast because, um, that's how we show Kaylee that this was worth it. <laughs> I already know it's worth it. <laughs> I already know it's worth it. Subscribe to Abby's podcast. Obviously stay subscribed to the cycling tips podcast. We will be running bits of Abby's podcast in this, in the regular cycling tips podcast. And of course, Abby will continue to be a guest on the cycling tips podcast. But if you want the Abby podcast, you got to go elsewhere. Without further ado, let's drop into your chat with Ruth. This is Abby Mickey, and we're here for the first episode of Freewheeling with Abby Mickey. I am sitting with Ruth Winder. Say hello. Hello. And... The reason that I have Ruth here is because the whole episode, we Kaylee and I mentioned a little bit in the intro, but the whole episode kind of deals with um, the article that just came out recently on bicycling.com about Ruth and about her national championship win this year and also about Mary Kane 
and the organ project and all of that stuff. And so we mentioned a little bit in the intro reds and before I even start, I want to define reds. So it's relative energy, energy deficiency. So that's the definition. Cause I realized that like both in the intro and when I'm talking to Jackson, I say reds all the time, but we don't like with Jackson, we go into the science, but anyway, before we get got going, I wanted to say relative energy deficiency. So, you know, um, but yeah, I'm here with Ruth who's hanging out with a cup of tea. It's snowing outside. How's the winter training going so far? Um, it's going well. I rode two hours today in the snowy conditions and my toes are very frozen until <laughs> very recently. <laughs> yeah. Because you would always rather ride outside no matter how cold than ride the trainer. Mm, I lasted like I was on the rollers for six minutes and then I was like, okay, I put plastic bags and tin foil around my feet and then shoe covers and it didn't help. My toes were still frozen at the end, but I did two hours outside and my work is done. Well, there you go. That's I, I'm always like a, I'll ride the trainer. That's fine with me. <laughs> I was like, oh no. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Five minutes and I can't do it. I must go outside. I mean, it, it like wasn't so bad out there. No, like, no. It, it got okay by the end of the day. It was okay. My toes, it was just cold. Yeah. But it's that time of year kind of getting in the base miles. Um, but anyway, so the reason you're here is because of the bicycling.com article that just came out about you. Yeah, it was really cool to be able to write that story I think it's it really one of the first things that really seemed strange to me when I first started talking about um, kind of dealing with a little bit of this problem and not really knowing what it was but thinking that it's a common problem like I told my coach Ben about you know I'd stop getting my period and I'm like this seems weird to me but I'm sure like it happens a lot so I was just Mm -hmm. talking to him thinking that this is just like a common thing that happens so I'll just bring it up and talk to him And it turns out that it is like a really common thing that happens, but nobody really talks about it. Um, So it's kind of cool to talk about it and have received a lot of feedback from other women saying, oh, I've been dealing with this too, but it's just a little bit uncomfortable to talk about because it's uncomfortable to talk about for many reasons. But um, yeah, just just kind of starting that conversation and having it with people has been really cool and the feedback from it. Yeah, because it's it's common that it happens, but it's not healthy that it happens. And there's this huge misconception that if you don't get your period, you're doing something right because you're, I don't know, lean enough or... Yeah. It's the idea that that women have in their heads of what they should be doing, but it's it's so wrong. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, like, even if you say something, even if someone goes forward and says something to a coach, they're just like, oh, that's uncomfortable to talk about we're not going to talk about that that's like not okay and that kind of happened to me about a year and a half ago I was like oh this is happening and I was just told to just do what I did before I had any missed periods or anything and I'm like (laughs) okay I guess like I guess that's just all that happens and then I brought it up to Ben and then we um did quite a lot of work with Stacy and everything so um I really believed the more I read about it that it wasn't just that it has a lot to do with being healthy hormonal balances um, can really help you be the best athlete you can be. And that's kind of the more I believed in that, the more I wanted to pursue it. Right. Cause if you're, if you are getting your period regularly as a female athlete, that means you're healthy. So the yeah, healthier yeah. you are, the better you're going to perform. Yeah. And then kind of in my mind, I stopped getting my period and I just thought, okay, well I don't have enough energy to be getting a period. So if I don't have enough energy to be doing the one thing my body naturally is supposed to do on its own, why would it dedicate more time to building muscle or getting stronger on the bike and I just was kind of like this seems wrong so let's try and fix it it's funny you you'd think that immediately because I think a lot of women are like oh that's sweet like I don't have to worry about getting my period in the middle of a big competition or something like that yeah I've never been so sad to not have to buy tampons (laughs) (laughs) um because yeah because I think the like automatic response is like oh well this much must mean like I'm getting skinny enough or yeah like yeah and it's it's cool that where we're living right now, like the time period that we're living in right now, it's like you can talk about having your period. It actually just dawned on me, listeners, that this is my very first <laughs> podcast episode. And both you and I and Jackson and I talk a lot about periods. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really funny. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me before this moment. <laughs> um, so the first women's 
podcast on the Cycling Tips feed, and it's all about periods. Yep. Awesome. Women have them. But it's a, like it's a good topic to talk about because, yeah, like people just don't know. People don't know about red's relative energy deficiency and the female athlete triad so i'm i'm wondering if before you started having missed periods and you realized like your body didn't have enough energy if you'd heard of reds or you knew about the female athlete triad i had heard of it a little bit but i honestly didn't know that much about it yet it wasn't until i started to experience some of it that i was like oh this is odd and then i really did a lot of research like i'm kind of an intense person i guess probably most athletes are in a way but then like I wanted to learn everything I could learn about it when I heard about it but I hadn't really heard too I hadn't taken the time to learn anything or I hadn't been educated on it previously to when I started to see symptoms what are your takeaways from from researching it that have stuck with you till now um besides the obvious your body needs energy (laughs) Yeah, I think just really listen to your body. Listen to your body and pay attention to your body and don't be afraid to ask for help, I think. Really. Yeah. Yeah, because asking, like, telling Ben must have been pretty tough. Yeah. Um, no, I'm a pretty open person. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> for me, I would have been like, no. I would be like, so there's this thing and you're my coach and I think you should know. Um, well, I know you know that women have periods, but now I don't. No, I don't have one. So I think that this is, you should know. I mean, you always know when I do have one because I'm on yeah. Tony Peaks like, oh my God, today sucked because... It was the first day of my period. I felt amazing because it was the first day of my period. Yeah, actually. you know a lot about me, everybody. Katie Hall was telling me me once that um, something having to do with your body, and this was years ago, like way before I knew anything about about anything having to do with reds or the female body, really, which sounds weird because I'm a girl, Um, but that when you're like about to get your period, your performance spikes or maybe the first day of your period, it's your performance spikes. The first yeah. day of your period, your performance spikes, because technically that's the when you're most like a man hormonally because mm. your all your hormones drop. So you're like building up to having your period, all your hormones are kind of like in this building right. phase. And then you start your period and it's like, oh, like and all your hormones sort of like drop down and your estrogen drops. And that's like, I, I would say that I normally feel pretty good the first day of my period. Yeah. If I've taken Advil to like not feel <laughs> to cramps. not feel the cramps. <laughs> yeah. Um, does Ben kind of like structure your training around what kind of phase you're in? Um, we've changed, we've been trying to look into it a little bit. It's been difficult to kind of figure that out because I've been not really sure of what phase I'm in, um, <laughs> with the lack of period and everything, yeah. but Ben's definitely done quite a lot of research on his own um, to try and figure it out, but it is you kind of have to be really open with that and be re- and I think you have to as much of it is your job your coach's job to like write your training program. I think a lot of that also falls on the athlete, so it would be my job to say to Ben, "Hey, just so you know, X, Y, and Z. I think like I'm feeling this way, especially with how irregular I am. If you had someone that was super regular every week and really yeah. had that situation dialed, then for sure it's really beneficial to talk with your coach and like figure out because." A coaching coach athlete relationship is much like a relationship relationship. Like you only get out what you put in. Yeah. So you have to be, and you, you're a coach also. So you know that you, you know, you don't know how to prescribe workouts to your athletes if you don't know how they're feeling. Yeah, no, exactly. Like if people don't talk to me on training peaks and I'm like so annoyed, I'm like, you need to tell me how you feel. So you would hate coaching me. Mm, yes. When Training Peaks came out with a little like scale of smiley face, yeah. it became my most favorite thing ever. And so <laughs> uh-huh. like for the last year that I was training and stuff, the only thing I would put on Training Peaks was like the scale of smiley face. Yeah, we're very different. I'm no like, notes. Let me write you a story. If there were if there was any <laughs> notes to give, like I would just text my coach directly and then he would be like, put it in Training Peaks mm-hmm. because then you can track it. And I'm like, but... But then I have to open training because there's an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so what what advice do you have? For, this is like such a common question, but I think with this specific topic, there's just so little um, so little knowledge around it, and like so little research done. And we're kind of like it's it's actually kind of cool because we're in the very beginning stage of of something that could be groundbreaking in women's sport is figuring out this whole situation with periods and body composition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for, for other athletes out there listening or more, I think, um, coaches of athletes, coaches of women or 
people who are around female athletes a lot who who see a lot more than a lot of athletes, even men, just athletes in general, when they're in it, they can't see the problems. They are completely dedicated and they're in it, but they don't, their spouses are the ones like seeing like, (laughs) oh man, you're, you're not eating enough or like you need to not be training that hard or, and so I think I, I kind of want to direct any advice you have to like spouses or coaches because they kind of yeah yeah I think if your athlete comes to you saying something that they're not feeling great and it's consistent they're not consistently feeling good for whatever reason or they come to you with something that's maybe hard to talk about even if it's just like a glimpse of saying like oh hey I'm hungry all the time or hey I'm feeling lethargic all the time and it seems to be reoccurring then really really pay attention to them like you you're working with an athlete or you're living with an athlete. So you probably, that person's probably really dedicated and going to have a hard time talking about things that aren't like we tend, we tend as athletes to want to do a really good job at whatever it is we're doing. So if we start to talk about something that seems a little bit hard to talk about, then really just pay attention. And I would just say for the athlete, like don't be nervous to talk about what it is that you want to talk about. And you know yourself really well. Like you can tell when you're feeling good and tell when you're feeling bad and asking for help is not, a bad thing um and people if you surround yourself with the people that love you um they'll really want to help you and i think a big thing for athletes is like being true to yourself because you know when you're tired and you feel tired because you've you're just tired like you just maybe didn't get enough sleep three nights in a row and you're just like a little bit fatigued but you you know when you're like tired and there's like a problem like you can Mm -hmm. feel the difference i think a lot of athletes aren't super true to themselves and they're like, Oh, I'm just tired. Like it'll be fine. But, but you can feel the difference in the tiredness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. In the aftermath of Ruth's story on Bicycling.com and the video that the New York Times published about Mary Kane and her story, um, I'm here with Jackson Long to talk about the female athlete triad and reds and this general topic. Um, I chose Jackson because he's an expert, but also, I I mean, you're just super passionate about this subject. So hello, Jackson. Hello, Abby. It's so nice to talk to you today. Please introduce yourself. Uh, tell me what your favorite um, time of year is. Favorite time of year? Ooh, uh, probably fall. Honestly, kind of like that—that that very nice time of year where it's you know it's just starting to get crisp and cold in the mornings, but then it kind of warms up to like a nice sixty degrees, and not like all the, the leaves are are changing, and you can still do all the, all the fun sports. But winter is is coming, so. Kind of like this time of year, honestly, depending on yeah. where you are. But yeah. yeah, well, here it's snow. It's snowing in Boulder. It's there's snow on the ground. It's cold. Um, but cool. That was a good intro. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we're here to talk about the female athlete triad, Reds, um, malnutrition, really. And I chose you to talk to because nutrition is kind of your thing, um, and you have your own podcast. And you've talked about Reds on your podcast. So um, I guess I want to start out by saying that even though this podcast is uh, about women's cycling, for the most part, um, it's, it isn't a thing that's found only in women. And it's a misconception that only women have eating disorders and have disordered eating that leads to malnutrition and and stuff like reds so i i want to put that out there from the very beginning just because i think that it's um i mean you know that not only women have have these issues right right it's it's definitely mostly actually been studied in in females but i think the as we'll talk about with with reds is uh you know relative energy deficiency in sport they, you know, the IOC, the you know International Olympic Committee, um, uh, basically uh, updated the female athlete triad to also include men because there was research coming out that men uh, in in sport also have 
this kind of similar issues. I mean, obviously the, the major one here, major difference biologically is, is, you know, the menstrual cycle, which we'll, we'll get into, but um, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's absolutely uh, both gender, you know, kind of issue. Yeah. So um, I know nothing about the female athlete triad or reds or anything. I didn't even know until just now what red stands for. And um, what made me contact you in the first place was Mary Kane's video where she mentioned reds kind of in passing. Um, and, and also the article about Ruth Winder on bicycling.com where she talked about losing her period, um, due to, uh, a nutritionist telling her to eat less basically. Um, and so it, it was kind of like hit me twice in one week, the, this topic. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about it because I think that a lot of people are just have no idea about this. And, and a lot of people have no idea that it can happen to men as well. So, um, yeah, let's start from the beginning and tell me about the female athlete triad and the beginnings of that. Yeah. So I think in, I think it was like in the, in the seventies, um, the female athlete triad was kind of born into the, you know, sports science, exercise, physiology, sports, nutrition, literature. Um, and it's basically just this, this interrelationship between, um, kind of three major things. And it's since been sort of updated as well from the original one. And then of course, updated into, uh, reds in, in 2014, but, so the female athlete triad basically is just this relationship between, you know, disordered eating or eating disorders, uh, a- athletic amenorrhea, which is essentially just a loss of, of menstrual function due to um, low energy availability, which we'll talk about, and then bone health. And so these th- three things are super related. Um, and then it has, has since kind of been... I guess updated to say that it's not just about disordered eating uh, as as kind of the the main I guess uh, sort of reason for these other secondary parts with you know uh, amenorrhea and uh, bone health issues. It's it's actually a lot to do with uh, energy availability, um, which is just this basically uh, like it's this mismatch between energy intake and energy expenditure. Um, after like leftover after exercise has, has happened. So essentially, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of two main pieces here is, you know, typical energy balance is, you know, just this kind of, uh, concept that, uh, you know, you're, you're basically the amount of energy that you expend, whether it's just on a daily, if you're, if you're a non-athlete, just how much exercise or energy you're expending calorie wise, um, throughout the body of all the physiological systems, with the amount that you're taking in right from food. Um, and so, but energy availability is the more important one here. I think with what we're talking about, uh, with, with relative energy deficiency and, and, and all these issues is that it's the amount left over after we take into consideration how much we're eating and how much we're expending in exercise. And, um, we'll, we'll get into that, but basically, yeah, the triad is, is sort of the original kind of conversation starter that, that really kind of came onto the scene. And I think made a lot of people realize that there is this issue that a lot of female athletes were, you know, having low energy intake, low energy availability. Um, and it was really affecting their, you know, reproductive function, which is going to suppress and drop estrogen, which is going to affect bone health and have all sorts of downstream issues, and problems in a variety of, of, uh, physiological systems. So it's basically like the female athlete triad for idiots is they weren't eating enough. Yeah. Either intentionally or unintentionally. I think that's the key thing is that a, a lot of times it's thought that it's a, it's a very intentional, um, decision to under eat. And, and for sure, that's a, that is a thing within a variety of different sports, not just cycling or endurance, but it's also can be very unintentional. It's just a fact of, you know, super high training loads of whatever sport you're in at the elite level, or even at the amateur level of, of just pushing your body super hard as we know as athletes, and then really struggling to get basically enough enough food, enough calories in, um, for a variety of reasons. And I mean, you know, we'll talk about, I think, 
you know, the whole Mary Kane thing and sort of the cultural systemic problems, I think, with a lot of coaches and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think an important thing is that uh, it's not just about eating disorders or disordered eating. Um, you know, the, the female athlete triad, that, that kind of main point on the triangle is defined really as, you know, low energy availability with or without an eating disorder, which kind of eventually downstream affects things like, uh, you know, bone health because of your low estrogen, which is those things are really tied. And so that's where we see things like stress fractures and, and low bone mineral density, um, osteoporosis, like early osteoporosis, um, in, in athletes. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's a really crazy thing. And I mean, I first learned about this in one of my undergrad exercise physiology classes and it just like kind of blew my mind. Cause I didn't realize, like, I didn't know anything about it. And I was sort of struggling with my own stuff at that time. And it like really just like, it was a light bulb moment for me that like these things are so related. And then I was, that's kind of when I started to be like, well, this isn't just in females, you know? And so it's, it's a, it's an interesting topic for sure. But yeah, like I said, it, it sort of did evolve into, um, a more comprehensive, inclusive syndrome um, uh, in, in terms of relative energy deficiency. Yeah, I want to touch base a little bit on like um, that it's not always a like intentional because I think that a lot of the times, you know, um, especially young athletes or athletes coming into the coming into the sport, maybe from another sport or um, coming into it, you know, off the couch. Uh, coming into cycling or or any endurance sport really like have no idea how much they're how how much energy they're using and how many calories they're burning when they're working out and like maybe they keep eating the same as they were before when they just weren't as hungry um and and it takes a little while for that hunger to kick in and your body to tell you like hey you need to eat more but you know um i think yeah it's that's a really interesting point that it's not always by choice that you're like, I'm limiting the amount I'm eating. And sometimes it is. And sometimes like in the case of Mary Kane, um, you're told not to eat, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which, and well, and it's, and like, I think the, the important thing is, as if you look at the kind of like the diagram of, of reds, um, you know, one of the, the kind of like spokes off of the main wheel of reds is, is kind of psychological factors. And it's a, it's a two way arrow. It's a, it's a two way street and it, you know, might not necessarily begin as a, uh, like intentional disordered eating pattern or eating disorder, like clinically. Um, but eventually, you know, it could evolve into that and also psycho like psychological, um, you know, issues with food, uh, can, of course, in, you know, create reds and vice versa. So it's a, it's kind of like a, um, a two way street and it, it can go back and forth really easily. And especially athletes and athletes at the high level are like meticulous about the amount of perfection they want from themselves. So it's, it becomes, um, being able to control a factor in your life, um, is a big thing when it comes to like intentionally, um, having disordered eating habits, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we all know, uh, you know, athletes, you know, we're, we're very type a often and, you know, OCD at points and, um, you know, and that's why like great champions of the world in whatever sport are, are great champions in many ways, you know, because it does take a, a, a tremendous amount of sacrifice and, and sort of focus and concentration and, um, all of that stuff, but it can get, of course, taken too far, um, and you know, athletes, especially, I mean, cause I think one important point to focus on is that, you know, this is more prevalent in, in some sports than others. I think weight sensitive sports, uh, like, you know, distance endurance sports, running, cycling, of course, um, and then weight class sports, uh, it's super prevalent in male fighting sports. Um, and also interestingly jockeys in horse racing because they have, uh, you know, very specific weight categories, um, where they have to hit a certain weight, um, during the, you know, during their competition or race or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, that, that added level of psychological stress of like, I have to be at this certain weight is going to, you know, influence how you approach food and training and weight and all of that. And so it's definitely, um, you know, in some sports are really, it, it can cause 
issues. And I think that's probably what happened. Uh, obviously it's what happened with, uh, Mary Kane and, and other athletes that have come forward about reds and their, and their kind of struggles with it. So, um, on, on this topic, it's like really interesting because actually I remember tying this into an experience I had once on a team. We were all in a van traveling to a race and all the girls were talking about who hadn't had their period the longest. And pretty much every single teammate of mine like didn't have a period. And I did. And I felt super like, I was like, oh man, like how do I get this thing to go away? Because clearly like I'm not doing something right. Maybe I'm not training enough or something. Um, so it's really interesting that like now this it's coming out that you, you want to have a period. And also Stacey Sims has done is like kind of pioneering the research on training for women training around your menstrual cycle and how you can optimize training around it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's new, it's a new concept that you want to have your period as an athlete, as a female athlete. Right. And that's just so backwards. I mean, it's so sad because, uh, I mean, that's just like a basic physiological function that, and, and actually it's, I mean, I highly recommend anyone out there that's interested in learning more about this topic, Stacey Sims, um, who is this really renowned uh, exercise physiologist. And, uh, she has a really great Ted talk that recently came out and, and she talks about how, uh, menstruation and this cycle can be an ergogenic aid, AKA, you know, it's like a performance enhancer. If you, um, train correctly and effectively and time it right, especially with food intake and stuff like that. Um, that it's not a, a kind of negative thing. It's not a limiter. You just have to work around it a little bit. And I think there's a lot of more support and that's why people like me and other, you know, Stacey Sims and other, other, you know, kind of people on in this field, in this world are so interested in talking about it because it needs this education needs to get out there and more and more coaches and nutritionists and doctors and parents and athletes need to be more aware of this. And, you know, there's one in this, in the IOC's uh, kind of consensus statement on reds, they talk about how like more than 50% of, of coaches and, you know, even doctors and team staff and stuff like that aren't even aware of just even the simple three pieces of the female athlete triad triangle, let alone reds. And so it's just not a, a, you know, a known thing within that field. And I mean, that's the perfect example of that is that Alberto Salazar dude and Mary Kane is, you know, he's supposedly this incredible coach and super well-renowned and has built this amazing program and all these incredible athletes. And, you know, hearing her story of just how, uh, just, kind of savage he was about weight and about this uh, arbitrary goal of of a weight, you know, piece shows that it's like, it's just still not super well known. So that's why, you know, that's why I think these kind of conversations are super important. Um, But anyway, coming back to, yeah, like I think the cultural uh, focus on trying to actually lose your period and and being obsessed purely with performance um, is a really kind of slippery slope. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's just this, this really, it, it becomes a vicious cycle because when, once you lose your period, you're going to have negative effects on bone and immune function and, uh, other, you know, per, and obviously performance, um, and even, but it's so embedded in the culture of, of these sports, um, at these high levels that it, it, it sort of keeps just getting perpetuated. I mean, it got, it might go really well for the athlete in the beginning, there's like the initial chunk of time where your, your performance increases and you get some results and you think like, Oh man, this is, this is working. This is going really well, but that's like, it's not sustainable. It's going to fall, fall off. You're going to, you're going to crash at some point, like physically or like literally because your, your brain gets all jumbled when you aren't feeding your body enough. Your brain is also affected by it. Like, I, I don't know how, I don't think there's been much research done on like malnutrition and depression, but that's, that'd be interesting. That's not what we're talking about today, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of psychological effects of this and, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, the rubber band will snap eventually, I think. Um, and that's, I think what we see with, you know, Mary Kane and, and others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it, 
like you said, it, it can, it can be, and that's, what's so appealing about it. And that's why I think it, it has become this just kind of cultural practice is that, you know, that initial weight loss is, is appealing because it does just immediately equate to performance, you know, performance gains, because, you know, with, with these sports, it's, it's all about power to weight, you know, at a certain point. Um, but how sustainable is that over the long term? And, and then of course, you know, I think performance is one thing. Um, but, many of us who are athletes aren't going to be athletes, you know, at the professional level forever. Um, and so what kind of long-term effects is this going to have on our health and just our happiness and, and kind of quality of life. And, um, you know, unfortunately I think a lot of athletes are willing to sacrifice that. Uh, there's, there was a, a crazy, I think survey or something of, of Olympians or maybe not Olympians, but just like professional athletes that were willing to give up even like they were, they were willing to, d- to die, or willing to get arrested for doping if they knew like without a doubt that they would win an Olympic gold medal or a world championship. Like they were just straight up like, yeah, I would like if I, if I knew that I was going to win an Olympic gold medal and, and then I knew that I was going to die an early death, like that's fine with me. And like that kind of speaks just volumes because it just shows how the, the extent that a lot of athletes will go to, reach, uh, you know, an arbitrary level of performance. And I think it's, a you know, important to sort of try and rewire the conversation, reframe it to be about more of a a holistic approach to health and performance and and realize that you can have the best of both worlds. You can have, um, you know, really great performance and also, you know, be actually healthy. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of on that topic, like athletes in general, they they need to be told more often go easier than go harder there's especially athletes at the highest level athletes at the olympic level their sole focus is sport they're completely dedicated to their craft they're ruthless they don't really have a, a care in the world for anything other than themselves and their sport and that's that's why they're so good that's why they are at the olympic level and um and sometimes, you know, it's, it's fine. It doesn't hurt other people. Sometimes it's not, but in the case of, of athletes that are in that mindset and it starts from a young age, it can start from, you know, middle school, you see gymnasts that are so young, that are so dedicated and stuff. And it kind of falls to the coach and, and the, the parent. And like you were saying to, to know the signs and to be able to, you know, rein in the athlete a little bit. So that's why, um, like with the Mary Kane case and with some teams who have nutritionists who maybe take the men's research from the men's side of the sport and apply it to the women, um, which it's not applicable but they they just don't know any better. And it's really interesting that this is with the female athlete triad and with reds, it's kind of the only subject in sport that has more research done on the women's side than the men's side. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And and yeah, I think that that's such an important point. That's a big thing that Stacey Sims talks about is, you know, women are not just small men. And that's, I mean, a huge area of research that needs to be done. Um, and yeah, you're right that I think a lot of the research in this field is done on, on females. And, um, so yeah, applying, applying like male, uh, you know, weight loss programs and stuff like that is not going to be, you know, effective for that. And, you know, one important thing is that there's these thresholds for energy availability that there it's very different for men and women. And, um, so, I mean, just kind of a quick, quick rundown. It's like the, you know, at this energy availability, which is this kind of, um, energy leftover after our food is in, t- is taken in and our exercise is expended. This, this kind of optimal level of energy availability for, for healthy function and, and performance is, is kind of typically achieved, uh, at this threshold of 45 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day. Um, that's a little bit, I think it, kind of confusing, but, um, you know, they found that it's, 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 there needs, it needs to be higher. The amount of energy left over, it it has to be higher for females because of this, uh, you know, 
increase in, in energy need for for reproductive function for the for the menstrual cycle. Um, and if you go below this kind of threshold, and and this is again a, an estimation, and it's it's not necessarily like set in stone. But if you go below an energy availability of 30 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day, um, that's sort of like uh, where, where kind of bad stuff can start happening. Um, it doesn't necessarily predict uh, loss of, of, of the period in, in all women, um, but it just sort of it, – it, that's like where you're running – kind of the, the engine too too hot and it's it can be too it can be a slippery slope of going down that going down that road so and you see so many women who are incredible incredible athletes who don't suffer from this yeah and it, and it i think that that just goes to show and i think that's like the most important thing to have have in this conversation is that it's not necessary for reaching your you know peak performance or your potential or whatever you want to call it, that you can have the best of both worlds. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people, a lot of athletes to accept because, you know, there's like this mental calculus going on where you're like, okay, well, if I lose X amount of weight, uh, I'm going to get to this level of performance. I'm going to, you know, ride faster up this hill or run faster in this marathon or whatever it is. Um, And then it just like kind of consumes your brain and, and it just gets like, taken way too far. And like you said, there are so many athletes that are at a healthy level of of energy availability and they don't exhibit any of these symptoms of reds and they're still crushing it. And that is just, it just goes to show that you don't have to go down that path. It's not required to be an elite athlete. Um, and so, uh, like that's, I think where coaches and nutritionists and, you know, uh, parents need to, be able to have that kind of conversation and, and sort of help to just mentally prepare their young, you know, son or daughter for, uh, that kind of conversation and that kind of relationship to sport and to food. And in, in the topic of women specifically, I mean, I think that it's the more research is done with women's bodies in sport and the less we apply, the tactics to make a strong male athlete versus a strong female athlete, the more research is done in women's sport, the more women's specific training that is applied to women, then it's going to be less of a problem because I, I think personally, like a lot of the cause of reds and the female athlete triad is because male coaches, well, not even just male coaches. Like I don't want to pin it on male coaches, but a lot of professionals in, in the training field, um, coaches and directors and what have you, they, without knowing any better, because before like three years ago, you know, it wasn't really a conversation, but just applying, I know coaches who are like freaking incredible coaches who would never, ever want to put their women's, their women athletes in harm, like, or anything. They, they just, don't know any better so they apply men's training to women and I think like the more women's training is developed and what Stacy is doing is amazing as an is amazing step forward in this basically but um the more women's training is applied to women the less this is going to be a problem down the road for future generations of sport and and that yeah I I think that maybe I'm just naive in thinking that a lot of the coaches who who um, kind of push their female athletes into developing symptoms of reds that they just don't know any better. And and some I think, especially in the case of Mary Kane, maybe they have an inkling of knowing better, but they just don't care, and all they want is is that per, those performance gains. But, um, I mean, that's definitely not the case for every coach out there that's like a male coach coaching a female athlete. But um, I think a lot of it is just ignorance. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, whether it's their fault or not, I mean, I think, again, this is such a complex you know web of 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 causes and effects and um you know not like all of that of course plus just the the cultural um i I think with female athletes especially it's like there's this really um tough balance between what just the mainstream non-athletic media 
sort of perpetuates as like the ideal body type, the ideal figure um, of, of a woman and then add in, you know, different sports. I mean, I think one of the things that I believe uh, she talked about in in her article, this British climber, her name is uh, Mina Leslie Wujatsik. I don't know how to pronounce her last <laughs> we'll name. We'll put the link she, in the you, show notes for anyone who wants to Yeah, yeah. It. It's, it's a fantastic article. I, I definitely recommend it. And, and she talks about, I think, how, you know, there's this kind of disconnect between, you know, what a like what, you know, an attractive female is supposed to look like. And, and then being a climber, especially where you have, you know, bigger shoulders and like bigger muscles in your upper body. And, and it's, and so kind of, it's like a, it's like, it's doubly hard for, I think that kind of, um, athlete. And, but at the same time, I think that that's also a problem in, in male sports as well. I mean, I, I saw that a lot in, in cycling and road cycling is that there's sort of this masculinity in cycling, to be super skinny, to be super lean, like unhealthfully so. Um, and that's sort of like a, a, a goal to achieve on, on the flip side, instead of being like a, you know, healthy weight, um, you know, with actual muscle definition and stuff like that. And um, so it's, it, it's tricky because yeah, it's, it's coaches and it's applying the science that has been such a male um, subject dominated uh, field and then the cultural di- issues and then, um, you know, team dynamics and, and kind of culture around food and, and eating and uh, just different kind of like habits around that. Yeah, it's a really tough thing. And but that's why, uh, you know, it's important to have conversations like this to sort of um, allow it to be out into the open and to be okay to talk about um, just kind of really rationally. Um, so it's, it's really good that, that you're bringing this to light in the cycling world. Cause I think it's still uh, sort of not n- as known in cycling as, as a lot of other sports. Just because we, the symptoms are harder to pin down if you're not like just full on, you know, not having a menstrual cycle. Um, like for men, it's, it's hard to pin down. So I want you to like list the symptoms as concisely and idiot proofly as you can. Yeah. So, I mean, there's kind of two, two pieces to this and we'll link, um, you know, the kind of the, the consensus statement from the IOC on it. And, you know, there's, there's the health consequences and the health symptoms. Um, but there's also the performance, uh, you know, consequences. And so let's start, I guess, with, with some of the performance, um, you know, some of them include decreased muscle strength, decreased endurance performance, increased injury risk, uh, decreased response to training, impaired judgment, decreased coordination, uh, and concentration, uh, general like irritability, uh, and depression even. Um, and, and then, you know, of course, like decreased glycogen stores, which is, I think super important, especially as it relates to cycling endurance sports is just that, that carbohydrate storage in the, in the muscles, which powers and fuels, you know, our, our racing and, and training, um, your body just by being at that kind of rundown state is going to not be able to store as m- as many carbohydrates and not be able to like have that fuel in the tank. Um, some of the health consequences and symptoms, of course, like we mentioned, um, impaired, uh, or irregular or just absolute absence of, uh, menstruation in, in females, but then on, on the men's side, uh, you know, there's going to be things like decreased testosterone, uh, re- you know, uh, other kind of sex hormones, um, gonadic, gonadotropin releasing hormone and, and just effects in, in that world. And then, uh, you know, there's of course, uh, gastrointestinal issues, immune system suppression and, and, and messed up function, uh, like, like we mentioned, bone health, low bone mineral density, which increases our risk for, for, uh, stress fractures. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, it basically affects potentially so many parts of, of, of the body of, of, of different systems in, in our, in our, in our bodies. And, um, you know, performance is just one piece of it. And again, I think that often it can be appealing for athletes to be willing to sacrifice those, those longer term health goals or health, um, you know, issues, because we just, it's, it's like far down the line. It's like, I don't have to worry about this right now because I'm just so focused on performance. Yeah. I think it's really important, um, that we kind of point out the, the symptoms just for people who are listening. If anybody, you know, has a buddy and 
And we live in a world, we live in a post Me Too movement world where these conversations are happening a lot more. And the, the mentality towards um, talking about sensitive subjects like this is changing. I mean, just in general, in the world, talking about, you know, depression and anxiety and eating disorders and stuff like that. It's so much more forgiving the world now. So I think this is just another thing to add to keep your eyes peeled. And, um, and if you're a parent and you have a kid who races, I mean, that's like the next generation and that's where the change is really going to happen. So I think it's important to kind of, you know, yeah, be able to, ch- yeah, check in with your body and, listen. you know, be, like really kind of be in tune. I mean, I think that's the, a sign of, of, of a, of a champion of a, of a really high level athlete is to be able to understand how to listen to our bodies and be able to address any, any sort of negatives. And I think just coming back to like some of the signs, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, anemic or if you're feeling really fatigued and you're not able to handle, you know, your training volume and, and recover well from that, or your sleep is getting messed up or you're getting sick a lot. Um, and, you know, or you go and get a blood test and you have all sorts of nutrient deficiencies, you know, um, these are all really important signs, not necessarily, you know, just exactly reds, but it, it, it could be the start of something. And I think even beyond that, uh, learning how to check in with your mental state of being like, okay, how is, you know, am I feeling uh, like I'm having a, a kind of a weird or negative relationship to food? Do I feel kind of stressed out when I go out to eat with friends? Or do I feel like if I don't exercise or train that day, I have to eat, you know, significantly less food? Or do I feel um, kind of guilty about eating, you know, something that's like, quote, unquote, unhealthy? Um, I think this concept of, of orthorexia, um, which is sort of this desire and drive and obsession with eating, you know, super healthy or quote unquote clean is really related to this. And, and it, they become this like unhealthy marriage of, 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 you know, kind of like disordered eating habits, um, which can lead to reds of course. And it can be, a, it can be a, a dark hole that we have to crawl out of sometimes, but if we can learn to catch it early on and learn how to uh, see those signs early on and be able to nip them in the bud. I think um, that is uh, just a, such an important skill for, for any athlete out there. And as an athlete, it's so easy to justify quote healthy eating. That's just an, an disordered eating habit. It's so easy to justify it because you're an athlete and it's better for your sport, but it's not always better for your mind or your body to be that way. Um, so, uh, for anyone who's listening, who is listening to the, um, symptoms that you're listing and they're like, Oh shit, that sounds like my, my significant other. That sounds like me. That sounds like my best friend. Like, what do you think are the first steps to, to kind of taking back, your body basically, um, from red. I mean, I think it can help. I mean, depending on, you know, what level you are, um, or, or I guess how, how, how far down that path you are. I mean, I think a, a really important thing is to, um, you know, connect with someone who is an expert in this field, whether it's a sports dietitian or a nutritionist that you trust, or, um, honestly, even a, uh, you know, a sports psychologist, I think it really helps to have someone who knows, this world a lot. Um, you know, cause unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of coaches, a lot of, um, even just general nutritionists and dietitians and, uh, you know, team staff aren't super aware of it. And it's, and so it's not necessarily, um, w- like they don't know how to address it because it, it, again, it can be a mental psychological thing just as much as it can be a physical thing. Um, so I think connecting with, uh, someone like that, in, in your sport, uh, or, or outside of your sport, even, um, you know, there's, there's some, I think, great, uh, resources out there. One thing I want to mention is this, uh, train brave campaign. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Um, it's called hashtag train brave and it's this campaign, um, kind of organization that's, that's kind of, uh, designed and, and, and geared towards inspiring, um, you know, more athletes to, to share their stories and to raise awareness around reds. And I think that there's uh, staff on there, um, that are kind of able to be like a support 
crew and, and talk, you know, talk to it. I mean, um, Renee McGregor is, is one of the, the dietitians, um, who like is, is really well versed in, in this. She is, um, she's an eating disorder specialist dietitian working in sports, um, and, and, and has a lot of experience with red. So I would, I would check out, um, it's trainbrave.org. Um, that's a good place to start, but also I think just in, in general, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, aside from um, that kind of level of support, I think it's, it's really important to start to just recognize, like check in with your why, like what's like, why are you in this sport in the first place? Why are you trying to reach, uh, the highest level you possibly can? Um, and kind of like create a little status report of, of your goals and your reasons for, for doing your, you know, training and, and, and why you're going down this path. Because, that's just, I think a good practice to do for, like I was saying, checking in with your body and listening to your body and, um, and kind of putting everything into perspective and looking at the big picture. Um, and, and honestly just like eating more, I know that that is really hard to, to, to do for a lot of people, but I'm not saying you have to force feed yourself, but I think if you're, uh, you know, losing weight rapidly and really fatigued and, um, you know, all these things. That's why I think it can be really helpful to work with uh, a dietitian or nutritionist. Um, but it, it, you have to kind of start to get back on that path of, um, of eating healthfully and, and, and nourishing yourself, um, because it's only going to help benefit you in the long term, and it's going to help your performance in your sport as well. Yeah, and to be clear, like I think, I think an important thing when it comes to uh, eating more, we're not saying like, hey, go out and eat a burger every day. It's it's not about uh, if if the words eating more to you like make you break out in a cold sweat or get nervous, it's because you're not no like you may need to adjust the way that you're thinking about the term eating more. Yeah. That's a sign. I think if, yeah, if, it, if that freaks you out and that gives you anxiety, that is a clear sign. It's a tell that there could be some sort of negative relationship with food going on. And in the world that we live in right now, going, going to therapy for something like this, seeing um, a psychologist or, or someone who specializes in disordered eating and kind of retaking your power from food is like totally rad. <laughs> we're, we're so lucky that we live in this world right now where we're allowed to have these kinds of discussions without feeling like we, you know, are breaking, breaking some kind of barrier. I mean, I've, I definitely don't feel like talking to you right now that this is going to be a controversial podcast. No, this is nothing new, right? I mean, this is, there's just, they just slapped a pretty label on it, a really complicated relative energy deficiency in sport. You know, it's like, but this is, this has been going on for forever. I think it's just, just like you were saying with, you know, me too, and all these other, you know, kinds of things like socially and culturally, we're, we're kind of breaking down the walls of, of being able to, to have conversations about it for athletes to be open about it. Um, I mean, th we've all heard of the stories of, um, you know, us postal and, and people in, in that world, in that era of doing just absolutely crazy shit to their bodies, um, in order to kind of gain that just extra little percent. But, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's just becoming more and more mainstream to talk about. And there are incredible, incredible people out there that have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, um, and are, have the tools to really help us maybe get out of that hole and, and kind of, like you said, regain control, not like control, but regain a, a positive, um, better relationship with, with food and with our, with our bodies and our minds really, you know? And the more we, uh, our generation and the more this current world talks about it and, and takes a hands-on approach to making making it less of a problem in sport, the more chances that our future generations and our kids aren't going to have to deal with it because it's not going to be a thing anymore. It's going to be like when we talk about, oh my gosh, that 
did you hear that crazy story about how like the U.S. postal guys used to drink a ton of sparkling water and then take an Ambien because the sparkling water made them feel full and then they'd sleep and they so they didn't know that their bodies needed food. Our kids are going to be talking about like, holy crap, did you hear about how like when our parents were racing, it was like totally cool to eat meal replacement for dinner so that you got less calories and got skinnier, like you know what I mean? Yeah, even just saying that, like it, it, it's it's comical, you know. But when you're in it, when you're there, it feels totally normal, right? Yeah. And so, I think in order to make it to to normalize, like just the the r- ridiculousness of that, more and more of us, and more and more athletes, especially high level athletes, I think um, the Mary Canes of the world uh, need to speak out about it and need to be. Um, I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and I, I, I applaud her for, for writing that piece and doing that video because it was just extremely powerful and it's made big waves, I think in a really good way. Um, but the more that we can talk about it, whether you're listening to this and you kind of feel this way, even just talking about it with your coach or with your teammate, um, like that's how we change the paradigm. That's how we shift this towards, um, you know, making progress on this. And and like you said, making it a thing of the past. For sure. And like, no offense to Mary Kane. I'm, I'm so in awe of her ability to come out and her story and, and everything, but it's not uncommon. It's so common that it's actually terrifying. The amount of people that have been in her position, maybe not with as much talent as she had, but the amount of people who have been in her position and who have like gone through what she went through, or at least a percent, a portion of what she went through is staggering. So yeah, being able to talk about it is huge. I feel like you and I could have hours and hours and hours of podcasting and we barely scratched the surface of this topic. But the fact, like I thought that this was an important conversation to put onto the podcast airwaves um, just because of, the current climate of sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, again, there just, it needs to be kind of a constant conversation that's happening among, um, athletes and, and professionals and coaches and, and trainers. And, um, I'll make a shameless plug for my own podcast because I did a full episode that kind of goes a little bit even more in depth on the science of, of reds and, um, on, on there. And so if you want to learn more about that, I've, check it out, listen to it. My podcast is called in the flow. Um, you can find it wherever, wherever you listen to podcasts, but I did, yeah, kind of, I, I kind of went deep into some of the the actual research and these, these consensus statements, um, in more depth. And I kind of talk about energy availability and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of really great resources out there. I would check out, um, if you haven't already, obviously Mary Kane's piece and this uh uk climber from uh, mina um which will link to all of these things but it's it's starting to become more and more um written about and talked about and just education i think is such a important uh way to to move this 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 needle forward and a good place to start is also if if you don't want to talk about the the kind of sticky sorry my dog's having a good dream <laughs> If you don't want to talk about kind of the sticky part of this whole topic, a good place to start is to not praise your teammates or like ride buddy mates for looking super lean because the positive feedback that that people are getting from being, you know, told, holy crap, like you look amazing. You must be super fit. You must be flying like stop that. Stop giving people props for looking lean. Cause then, yeah. And lead by example, you know, take that initiative on yourself of, of, you know, after a a big race or a training session, you know, slamming a huge, awesome, super healthy meal. Um, when everyone else is just eating a salad like that, I think speaks volumes and, um, so stuff like that, I think is, is, is important. And, and like, you know, educating your teammates about it too, sharing stuff and um, just being open about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are steps you can take. That's not, you know, talking about talking about it negatively. You can talk about it positively and kind of have fun conversations about 
eating disorders, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you can, you can talk about it in a way that doesn't put this huge black cloud over the rim. And I think that that's really important in making it a conversation that people are willing to have because not everybody is down with having these kinds of open conversations, especially about their own stories. But if you, if you spin it in a positive way and you kind of make it the norm, then it's going to be easier to talk about. And another thing that was really cool one time I was on a team where you weren't allowed it. It was, if you heard your teammates talking about losing weight or food in a distorted, distorted way, you'd, you'd tell them to stop because it just, it wasn't allowed to talk about losing weight. It wasn't allowed to talk about food in a negative way. And I think that that was really, really a good atmosphere on that team for when it came to that kind of thing. So those are some things that you can kind of introduce to your team or your buddies or whatever, your friends. If you're not even like a cyclist and you just listen to this podcast because I don't know, you love Kaylee's voice then you can kind of introduce stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, Whew. big chat. And we, we like literally barely talked about the actual like science and stuff of red. So I do recommend that anyone listening who wants to know more goes and listens to Jackson's podcast and we can have Jackson back on the podcast whenever we want. So yeah, thank you so much for chatting with us and with us, with me, with me for the people and um yeah been it's been great it has been thanks so much abby super fascinating stuff this is a really vital topic and as you say it's kind of been in the news lately so i'm glad that you sat down with ruth sat down with jackson learned a lot over the last hour or so this is a topic that's very close to me in my cycling career and also i think is a growing concern amongst cycling just with the amount of knowledge that we're gaining um about nutrition and bodies and stuff like that so um i wanted this to be the first episode because it's a topic that i think needs to be talked about but podcasts in the future won't always be so scientific um there will be fun things also so don't worry they're not all going to be all sciencey but i just thought this was a great intro to kind of things that I want to talk about. Just to remind everybody, subscribe to Abby's podcast. It's going to be on a separate channel from the regular Cycling Tips podcast. Of course, you can always find it on cyclingtips.com. You can always find it wherever you find your favorite podcast, but you do need to go over there. And with that, thanks everybody for listening. Abby will be back two weeks from now. Yep. And um, I'm going to come up with a catchphrase to say at the end of every episode, but for now I can't. Catchphrase. May the force be with you now. (laughs) You stay classy, San Diego. Oh, God. (laughs) 